You are now tuned in to Hollywood Ways with Doug and Breezy. Oh, hey Ted. I know that you like the lies, know you like the way it shines. There's no other place you'd rather be. This is how we do it. Hollywood Ways. We are back. I'm a little tired. It's been a long week. You know, when this podcast started, I said not only was this going to be a podcast, but it was also going to really be the behind the scenes of of this show that I had no idea what it was going to be. And now it's really starting to come into uh, fruition. And uh, it, it brings a lot of things around. Terry Weinberg, who's our guest. How are you, Terry? Hi, Dougie. How are you? Good. So Terry, um, for everyone listening out there, is when you want to talk about work ethic and grinding, this is someone I now know almost 25 years. Is that where we're at? Which is pretty horrible. But one of the hardest working people I know and one of the more successful as you can. I don't know if we're doing video anymore, but her trophy case behind you says a lot. But she produced uh, The Office, Ugly Betty, uh, Gentrified, which is currently on. We have several projects together, some that have actually come to fruition, some that are sitting in drawers, like many things that happen in this town. But we got something going exciting right now. And also, Terry, you know, when I was pretty down and out before Entourage, I had uh, written some script and Terry uh, brought it to her partner at the time, Ben Silverman. And uh, they hired me to write a show that we almost got going. That Terry, if you remember at the time, it was a pretty much an all African-American cast, which I know 2022, maybe I shouldn't have been writing that, but I did. And we liked it and we were casting it. But I don't think the networks at that moment were ready for it. So anyway, how you doing? And also that was 2003. I think it was 2001, I think. But maybe well, we, the company, we started the company in 2002. So it might have been 2002. So I was one it of the first really- hires. You had a good eye, Terry. I want to talk about for people to really understand the grind and how you get out here. Both of us have similar stories. We have no connections in this town. We came out here, didn't really know how to get going. Tell me how you got started. I came out here on my own. I had one friend. I was in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona, had just graduated from college, had taken a few few years break because I needed to work, you know, and um, I really just sent myself to college because I just wanted to know that I had the discipline to do it and work my way through four years of college while I worked at night, you know, so it was, you know, I'd go to work at three in the afternoon, I'd get home at one in the morning, and then I'd have a 740 class. It was insane. But um, I had one friend out here and I packed up my little Suzuki Samurai with my dog that had just died and I packed, <laughs> you packed up the dead dog, packed up my dog. I had him cremated. He sat on the passenger seat and the two of us made our way out here. And why were and, you coming? Did you love film? Did you want to get into the entertainment business or what? You know, I wanted to do something creative. You know, I studied interior design and um, architecture, but I knew that that was not a career that I wanted, but I felt like I wanted to be in a creative space. And so I got a job transfer just to hold me over financially. And back at that time, I don't know if you remember, there were those learning annexes. And I went to a class called Learn How to Become an Agent. Right. And I had no idea what an agent was. And it just so happened to be an agent that had a 30-year career at ICM. And he just became my mentor. And, um, you know, he helped me get a job at ICM. And I was there for five and a half years. Did you start in the mailroom or what? I started as a floater 
which is you don't get a desk, you get called in every time, you know, anytime somebody is sick or they're on vacation or so you just kind of work your way around any and every department that you're needed. And so for me, it was kind of a masterclass because I would be in music one day, I would be in features the next day, I would be in comedy the next day, I would be in television the next day. And so I really got a sense of what an agency did And um, I landed on Steve Levine's desk, who was the head of comedy and personal appearances. And I was on his desk for a couple of days and he asked me if I would stay. And And what do you think it is? I mean, I know what it is about you, but what do you think at that age and, and that time that made you kind of stand out? Because this is a job, just so you know, when you get these jobs at one of these big agencies, whether it's the mailroom or whether you're getting coffee, it's a tough job to get, even if you come from an Ivy League education. So what do you think it was that made you kind of stand out that he wanted to keep you there after seeing you for a couple of days? And what do you think people can take from that? I think for me, because I was older, I mean, there were kids driving into the parking lot that were you know, 18, 19, 20 years old and Benzes and Mercedes. And here I am in my little, you know, fucking Suzuki Samurai. And I just knew that I had to work harder to prove myself. And so I got there early. I stayed late. I was interested. You know, I asked a million questions and, you know, I just showed a fortitude that I think a lot didn't because I didn't have those connections. I didn't have anybody, you know, that made a call for me to say, Hey, hire this girl. And so I really believe that it was my work ethic and really caring about wanting to become a part of the agency for, you know, an extended period of time. And I was smart. And did you take something during this period and go, you know what I want to do five years from now? I don't want to be an agent because you didn't stay at doing that. So where was that term? The term was when I had heard that there was a job opening for a feature lit and talent agent while I was on the comedy department. And I knew that I wanted to do more. I wanted to have more of a learning experience. And so I took that interview without telling my boss, who I had, by the way, had agreed that I would stay on his desk for a year. And so I secretly had the meeting. She and I just hit it off and she wanted to hire me. So I had to go back to my boss and say, listen, I know that I just agreed to give you a year on this desk, but please, I beg you, this is what I feel like I need to do. And he was cool enough to say, go take that job and fly. So I think it was being exposed to very high level material. I mean, she had major movie stars, major directors, major writers, you know, um, documentarians. I just got this look at what it meant to read a beautiful script, you know, to see a beautiful documentary, to see, you know, those kinds of things that would come across her desk. And she asked me to read everything. And so um, on Friday, she would give me, you know, between five and 10 scripts to read over the weekend. And then on Monday morning, I had to do an oral presentation and give her kind of a synopsis um, of those scripts. And And just jumping in, just so you know, there are so many people in this town who do not read scripts. I may be one of them. I've probably read 10 in the last five years. And it really is a skill. I did it on Entourage where Lloyd had to walk in with a stack of scripts and know everything. And that was not exaggerated. That was real. So and Terry, as I know, who is a reader and when I give a script, gives thoughtful and careful notes. I mean, how much time do you think you spend on a script when you have 10 in a weekend, let's say? I would spend the entire weekend. I mean, that was my life. I mean, if I had 10, I would do five on Saturday or five on Sunday. I would, you know, because you have to be able to comprehend 
and be able to talk about that script, talk about characters. Is it good for a particular actor that she represented? You know, did I have an eye for that, you know, for good material and provocative roles? And so it was a skill that I had to learn, you know, over time. But the more I read, the more I was able to really recognize what a special script was, you know, and um, I remember reading Family Man. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, Nick Cage. Nick Cage. Family Man had come across her desk and I said, this is one of the most beautiful scripts I've read. Somebody has to do something in this. And it made its way around the agency because she trusted me. But I was also kind of fearless because so many people are afraid to have an opinion. And if I have any advice for anybody, it's you just have to be convicted in your opinion and in your in what you feel in your gut is good and right and smart um, that you're willing to get behind. I think so many people are afraid to have a point of view. Right. And so when you're reading all these scripts, though, at any point, did you go, you know what, I want to write, I want to direct, or was it really your feeling was you wanted to shepherd these projects, find some great piece of material? Yeah, I really felt like I wanted to be a part of that creative process because whenever she was, um, you know, having conversations with the directors that she represented. And I got to know so many of these people directly that they would have conversations with me about characters and about roles and around this, about the scripts and what I thought. And it was just, it just felt so good to be a part of something that was on the ground floor on a page before it came to life. And then to see that, you know, over time and then see it on the screen was like magic to me. And you've you've developed these skills from working in this agency to you being the second in command at NBC to producing shows. How did you learn? I mean, you're, you're dealing with the agents and these, these other high ups, but how did you learn how to deal with talent? Which as you know, from me is, is a sensitive subject. When someone writes a script, Almost every one of us thinks they're pretty good. They wouldn't submit them if they didn't think that. But obviously you're going through a lot of stuff that isn't great or maybe not there. And you're dealing with people who may have an Oscar, an Emmy. How how did you start to learn how to communicate with those types of people? The most important thing for me to do, no matter what I was doing, whether I was an assistant, I was running a network, I was a producer, my boss had said to me when I was an assistant, she said, the first thing that you have to remember is that we're humans first and that you have to be kind and that you have to be thoughtful and you have to be respectful, whether it's somebody delivering your mail, whether it's whomever it is. And I never forgot that. And by the way, the people that used to deliver my mail are now running studios and networks. Right. Um, And so I just kept that practice no matter what I was doing. You know, you know, you're talking to someone about something that they've put their heart and soul into. And so you want to respect that and do it thoughtfully and carefully and respectfully. And people know that I will always tell the truth. And so I can only tell them how it makes me feel, which Greg Daniels was the one who gave me that advice. Greg Daniels who created the office and um, King of the Hill and and other stuff, genius comedy writer. So what, what advice did he give you? Greg used to say, tell me how it makes you feel. Don't give me a note, but just tell me how that scene makes you feel or tell me how this scene between these two characters makes you feel. And I, that just got me thinking in kind of a different way. I didn't want to fix it. I just wanted to feel it, you know? And so I have always been, you know, that person to, 
I respect the work. You know, I've spent 20 years cohabitating with a writer and I know how sensitive, you know, you guys are. And it's I don't want to be lumped in. That's a whole other podcast. Um, And and Terry's who she's cohabitating with is one of my oldest friends who's working on the new show that we're doing, which Ted is producing. And Terry, as I said, we have made two documentaries together. We have sold several shows together and we're grinding away on a daily basis. But I think one of the good lessons is there and it sounds so sentimental and it is not Hollywood. Being kind is a very tough thing and there's nothing worse because there are tons of agents and producers who, yeah, they tell you the truth and they say it fucking sucks. And I've got literally gotten that note from people, which is so destructive to anybody, no matter what your confidence level is. But so what's the first Big move that sort of pushes you to get out on your own. And I know you worked obviously with Ben for a long time, but where where does that first major hurdle come and and who's the mentor that really helps you uh, move to kind of your own thing? Um, I think for me, it was, it's a little bit of a rarefied experience because I ran the scripted all the scripted development and the, and, and department at Reveille and you know, as a producer, sometimes you're a little bit of an unsung hero. You know, I never felt like it was important for me to do interviews or to be in the press or to be in front of the camera. I just wanted to do the work. But there comes a point where you feel like you have to come outside of someone else's moniker or someone else's company. And I felt like being at Reveille for five years, having run a broadcast network for three years, that I was ready to, to step out and use the experience and the intelligence and the relationships and everything that I had um, to then bet on myself because I was watching everybody else get rich as fuck. Right. And I said, you know what? I want to put all that energy into me. I want to bet on me. And I think, especially for women in our industry, they're afraid to bet on themselves. And so I mentor a lot of women um, in our industry to try to be that mentor. For yeah. them. And, and Terry has always been amazing. I mean, everything I've ever brought you, which Eric Legrand is a, a close friend of mine. And now Terry's he, uh, uh, amazing football player at Rutgers who ended up paralyzed after an incident. We did a documentary with him and we've worked on some stuff. Eduardo Garcia, who's this incredible chef who had um, uh, an accident where he stepped on a live wire and was electrocuted. Uh, we did a documentary on him that you should check out called Charged. I think it's still on Amazon, right? Yeah, it is. Um, mm-hmm. And and Heather Andelsman, who is one of my best friends from childhood's daughter, who's two-time leukemia uh, sufferer at the age of 22. You've now really, really been great with her. And I do, I think you're an inspiration to me because I, I, I've realized my thing. I'm a very, and I told your, your cohabitator, Mark Gaines the other day, I'm a very, I'm a very one thing focused person. I have a very hard time focusing on five things at the same time, which is why, like you, when I was doing entourage, my head was down for 12 years and I grinded on that. How do you manage to, and I know you text me at five o'clock in the morning, but how do you manage to multitask on so many things and actually give them all the attention? And do you try to prioritize this one's better than this? This one's got a better shot or what, what do you do with stuff like that? Well, when you go from producing, you know, three, four five, six shows to then 
running a billion dollar business where you're responsible for 16,000 some odd, you know, people, and you have to be able to switch your brain from creative to financial, to marketing, to press, to publicity, to all of those things that all come at you a million miles an hour in the course of a day that I've just always been a really organized person. And I've always had assistants that have helped keep me on the straight. But for me, it's just, I have my shit. I have a hundred, you know, notebooks that I still write longhand on. Um, I keep my reports in front of me. So I know where my, you know, deadlines are, what's critically important for that day. And I just run those lists every morning to make sure that nothing gets past me. And then inside of that, I always like to make time for, you know, doing something charitable or, or helping a friend or doing something that is just because we have to be good people in the world. Right. And then it's critical for me to be able to have an hour in my day to, to work out and just do me. And and so tell me, Terry, I mean, you're running basically Reverly, which for anyone who doesn't know, this is the, the company, uh, The Office, um, Everybody, Ugly the Betty, the, the Biggest Loser too, right? Or biggest, no? Yeah, Biggest Loser, Nashville Star, Ugly Betty, The Office, The Tudors, The Restaurant, and I think one other, one or two other shows in production at the same time. Okay, but at the same time, I always felt Reveille, which was this hugely successful company, was still like this kind of small mom and pop shop. Then all of a sudden, NBC comes to you and Ben and says, go run NBC, which at the time, I mean, it's weird looking at NBC now. I don't view them the way uh, we looked at them 15 years ago when you did this. This was like, oh, my. Did you walk into that office that day and go, holy shit, I'm like the vice president of NBC? (laughs) First of all, I didn't even walk into my office. I had to get on a plane and fly to New York. And my first day was at 30 Rock. On 52, which if you know anything about 30 Rock and not floors where Jeff Zucker and all of the executive, executive, executive suite was. And I walked into a cocktail party, I think of 50 people and or it was a morning. It was a brunch. And I was literally like, what in the actual fuck is <laughs> happening? And then Ben and I sat after about an hour, we sat at the largest conference table I've ever seen in my life. And, and that's just Ben Silverman, a, who was president. Yeah. Yeah, Ben Silverman. And we just had a battery of press interviews that we did for two hours. Did you feel overwhelmed or did you feel like this is the right spot for me? Oh, I knew it was the right spot for me. But at the same time, you just don't even know what hits you because you don't right. have an ex- I didn't have an expectation. I'd never worked at a network, so I really didn't know what that kind of structure felt like. But I literally had people just grabbing me, telling me where I had to be, who I had to talk to, that I wasn't used to. Right. Um, and so it was really fun, but it was yeah. the most amount of pressure that I think I've ever felt in my career. Right. And so now you're you're back out on your own. You're doing stuff. We have a, a great show. Katie, Katie Sowers, who's uh, was the first female coach in the Super Bowl, the NFL. We've got a show uh, based on her. We've got an Emmy winning writer who we hope is going to write it. But we're already on this so people can understand. We're already on this for over a year. And we haven't been paid anything. I'm not saying that in um, in a grievance. I'm saying that that's the way this goes. We've been on this for a year. 
we haven't made the inroads yet. We had a star attached to uh, who may have had a little fall from grace and may not be attached anymore. But how often do you have these projects where you really feel this passion for, and you know, there's something great there and it goes on and on like this type of situation. Let me tell you something. I have a project currently at Apple. It would take an entire podcast to tell you the origin of it, but that was, it started, I started developing it six years ago right? at a different network with a different studio, with a different writer. And in between then and now there were two other studios, three other writers. And now six years later, we are here at Apple and I'm literally we're at the one yard line to get a series order. The moral of that story is I never gave up. I knew the story had to be told and I just hammered everyone to try to convince them that this is a story that they had to tell. And so it's been my life's work. That's just one of 10 other things I'm doing. Well, you have gentrified that just did season two in Netflix. Yeah. Tentified. Um, sadly it was just canceled so we will not be moving forward with netflix but sorry about that thank you but listen i for me it was um i have nothing but joy for it because it was a story about a community a latin community that was really focused on what gentrification meant to a a family who had multi-generational that was born and raised there. And it was serious issues that um, are in a town that people didn't know. So it could have felt like a really small um, story that people couldn't relate to. And we got it done we got it sold. We got it made and got to shoot two seasons and two young Latin writers who had never done television before. One is now directing episodes of television and another one coming off the show just got an overall deal at 20th. That's great. And so those are the things that excite me that you can, we can bring people along with us and we can help create and introduce careers. And and so speak to that a little bit about what you see. Obviously we all know some people are complaining about it. Some people are loving it. Times are changing. People are trying to be focused on being more equitable, more this as a, as a woman, Um, As someone who is working in this uh, type of underserved community market, are things getting better? Are they overcorrecting or where do you feel we are right now? Um, I think it's a matter of where you look. You know, for me, it's always been this is commonplace for me. I mean, I was developing Ugly Betty in 2003 you know, where we had never seen a Latin character at the center of a show on a major broadcast network and one that was ugly, air quotes, and Zoftic. You know, we never saw anybody like that. And so for me, it was always about how can we tell stories about characters, communities, relationships, people that we don't normally get to see, but are part of the fabric of our lives, and so those are the things that I just lean into. And it's just a natural thing for me. I think the industry has overcorrected in certain ways, but in a way that doesn't necessarily feel authentic because it's really easy to check a box and say, we're going to do X amount of shows that are about a Latin community. We're going to do X amount of shows that are about African-American. We're going to do X amount of shows. 
anything having to do with POC. And I just said this to Mark the other day that it always bothered me that in writing staffs, there was always a category for diversity and it was free and it was kind of over here, you know? And I thought, you know, what does that mean? How is that voice not important enough to be, pay those fucking people? You know, they do get paid, but consider them to be a part of this because that's what the world looks like. You know, our entire writing staff on Hentified clearly was Latino because we're telling, you know, we're talking about a Latin community. We had Afro-Latino, we had Cuban, we had, you know, Latin isn't a monolith, you know? And so I think some of the, some of the correction is in earnest and some of the correction is fuck, we have to start paying attention now. Right. And when I went to NBC, that's the first thing I said is we have to find ways to honor what our world looks like through our shows. Right. And, and what's multiple points of view culturally. And so what, what's the next phase for you? Is it just you want to find like your big hit series or what, what do you really want to do for the next decade? Um, what I really want to do, um, I want to stay philanthropic. I want to stay um, involved in, um, you know, issues that matter to me. You know, I'm on the board of trustees of LLS. As you know, you know, my mom passed from lymphoma. And so that's become part of my life's work to help other people. And that's why I'm so proud to be able to help Heather. Um, And I thought long and hard about wanting to direct. So I think directing will probably be um, in my future. I don't know how near or far, but, you know, I've spent enough time on sets. I've been around incredibly creative people, you know, like you. um, Mildly, uh, mildly creative. Doug. You're really creative and you know it. Um, and that's something that I've always wanted to do. So I think that that's, that's probably coming down the pipeline for me. And, what, and what's the takeaway for someone listening, a young person, female or male, minority or not? What, what, what's, the, what's the move when you get out here? What's the, what's the real thing that you can kind of give a, a singular piece of advice that can kind of help somebody who really wants to be where you are 10 years from now, 20 years from now, et cetera. Really, Dougie, I think the best advice I can give, because I can give you all the, you know, relationships are everything and find a mentor and all those things that people will tell you to do. But you have to come out here with a burning passion, desire to do the thing that you're looking to do. And don't stray from that, no matter what people tell you. Because I think the more people told me no, there were so many people that I see them that told me I was too old. I was never going to be anything in this industry. So at a time when people were telling you you were too old for this business and you were too old to do what you were trying to do, how, how old were you at the time? I was 28. That was at the time, too, where there were not a lot of female agents, you know, and women were sort of, you know, kind of over here a little bit and the ones who didn't really speak. And I thought that was fucking crazy. I didn't even understand what that was. And so those are all the things that I took with me when I left the agency that I knew I wouldn't do and that I would do everything that I could to raise women's voices. 
And now you can see how much the industry has changed over that kind of 20 years. But man, it took a long time and it was a good, long, hard fight. One agent told me my penmanship sucked and I was never going to do that. <laughs> I could never be an agent with my penmanship. You know, just this, you know, because people are, there are a lot of people that will root against us to be successful. And I'm one of those people that roots for people. So I think when you can get in the, you can get in the, in the trade, you know, in the wind of somebody who, you know, is going to be about positivity and help you, you know, grab onto their wings, you know, but still be committed about what it is that you want to do. I love it. Well, uh, we use you as a joke. And I mean, uh, Mark and I, as someone who just works so much harder than both of us combined do, and uh, it's impressive. And, and you've, you know, you've reaped the rewards. And I think there's they're still coming. I hope, you know, our show gets rolling this year. Um, and and the other one we're doing with Mark, I think is going to be exciting. So Terry, thanks so much for coming on. Um, I'm going to get Mark, who's a little shyer and doesn't really, he's not ready to get on a podcast. We're going to get him to really deep dive, you know, our new show, which I just wanted to give a little update on is where we're at. We got a start date of February 17th and we've got Academy Award nominee and an Emmy winner, Martin Sheen and Emmy winner, Charlie Sheen and Emmy nominee, Kevin Connolly, Emmy nominee, Kevin Dillon, Jamie Lynn Siegler. Um, Emmanuel is probably going to show up in something in this. And we have some other people. Terry's actually out to a friend of hers right now to see if we can get a great female actor that we're looking at. So uh, that's exciting. And we are we're getting it all rolling and um, good things ahead in 2022 for everybody, I hope, and everybody out there just stay focused you know this is uh it's been an especially hard time to get into this business with it basically having a town that's closed down but i think i hope the world is going to start opening up again and i think um you know as terry knows because both of us have kind of been of this mindset that you just got to keep creating and if you want to do this right now is the time to do it on your own there's so many ways to really get things out there so um everybody just keep pushing on and uh we'll get back next week hollywood ways thank you everybody for joining us appreciate it thank you dougie love you